Thanks for tuning into The Scoop. I hope we can continue to serve as an important source of information and entertainment during these unprecedented times. I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Bitstamp, before we get started with the episode. They're the original global cryptocurrency exchange. Since 2011, Bitstamp has been a cornerstone of the cryptocurrency industry and the preferred exchange for serious traders and investors, trusted by over 4 million customers, including top financial institutions. Bitstamp is built on professional-grade trading technology. Their platform is powered by a matching engine from NASDAQ, the global stock exchange, and their APIs are consistently recognized as the best in the industry. Bitstamp's advanced trading interface, TradeView, features live charting, deep analytical tools, and is available on web and mobile. You can download the Bitstamp app from the App Store or Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to learn more and to start trading today. That's bitstamp.net slash pro. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special episode of The Scoop today. Special in one part because I'm here at our office in New York alone in the wee hours of the morning. We have a very special guest, Andre Cronje. He is behind Wi-Fi, Yearn Finance. Very excited to have him on the show. It's funny, um, I was out to dinner last night with a few friends, you know, safe, socially distanced dinner. We were talking about DeFi and the mania that we're seeing in the market. And my one friend's girlfriend was talking about how she is friends with this private equity lawyer who's now vaulting. He's got his own vault. And so I, I think it was funny. It just speaks to how this space is, is beginning to creep onto, you know, the mainstream at the very beginning, at a very early stage, at least. And so I guess before we maybe talk about your background and how you got got into this and what you're sort of expecting for the market, when you see the DeFi space, when you see all these people engaging with this thing you've developed, what do you make of it? Does it shock you? Is it surprising? Um, I mean, there's like some private equity guy who like is vaulting now. That's got to be crazy to you. So my very first comment is your voice is so incredibly soothing that I'm going to need you to do audiobooks so that I can <laughs> sort of listen to them. Because, um, like, that was tranquil. That was amazing. But, man, I don't think I've been this calm this entire week so far. So, so please, you, 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 need, to, you need to share that gift. Um, second <laughs> to that. Write, when you write a book about uh, your experience with year and finance, I'll, I, will, I will audio read it uh, at a very, very small charge for you. Ah, because of the I love that. I'll, 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 I'll double down. No worries there. Um, I, I don't think about it. Um, there's still a little bit of like old stigma mentality where, you know, and, and we, we haven't fully transitioned yet where the creator and or founder and or contributor or whatever people like to call me is expected to kind of be like, you know, it's, it's the captain of the ship. That's the leader. That's the CEO. That's all of that stuff. But Proper decentralized protocols don't have that. It doesn't need a decision maker. It doesn't need a figurehead. It 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 exists on its own. So when I when I initially deploy something, I think about it a lot because then I'm then I'm in monitoring mode. I'm constantly checking. I'm making sure everything is working as my tests have shown and as I've intended and as I've checked. So for the first few weeks of something going live, it gets a lot of my attention. 
at this point with Vault, you know, they've since white tokens already, they've they've proven that they can withstand the bulk of the pressure that they get. Um, the community's grown to the point now where you know there's there's five six devs who are doing their own strategies. Governance is going active on chain soon. We've got the multisig that's handling strategy, approving strategies and and switching between strategies. So so I'm I'm fortunate in that Yearn as a decentralized protocol, and that's why I'm actually working very hard to to decouple me as a developer from it. Um, not to say I'm not going to continue being a contributor, but like I, I, I actually disagree with this idea that people have that you know I'm, I'm yearn because it doesn't need me. Like if if I were to have a heart attack on this call now, it's going to continue without me. That's that's one of the beauties of decentralized protocols. So I mean, when you mention it, I'll I'll say hey, that's pretty cool. Um, at the same time, it makes logical sense. I mean, who wouldn't put their cash in a vault at this stage? Like I know. If you're like a DeFi native and you're running after all of these crazy farms and you're willing to risk all of your funds, then then I understand and the vault's not for you. If you're a little bit outside and you're only coming in now, it's it's the perfect entry point. I mean, it's it's still ridiculously high APY as far as I'm concerned. I'm expecting it to still come down quite a bit more before I'm realistic about the numbers. But the honest answer is I, I don't think about it. I'm I'm spending more time on on what can I build next than what is there. It's doing its job in a permissionless decentralized fashion, and I think it's important that we start making that mentality shift as well towards this. It's, it's an important lesson. It's an important lesson for the entire space. I mean, if this market is going to be truly decentralized, the figures, figureheads at the heart of these protocols need to take that approach. I want to loop in. I got so excited in the intro, I, I was um, negligent in introducing, to use a nautical analogy, my first mate in the midst of this conversation, and that's Mika. He's on our research team. There is no one, I think, in this market from a research editorial perspective who is following this stuff as closely as Mika. So we're very excited to have him on the call and have him here to make sure I don't say anything that's that's technically incorrect. But he he had some notes prepared and and I'll sort of start things off, but Mika, feel free to dive in if if um if I say something erroneous. But there is this underpinning question about decentralized governance. And uh, Mika prepared some notes about how you know we're seeing the protocol move from you to this team, right, of, of maybe 20 or so folks of a decentralized organization. But there are disagreements. There's complaints. There's folks concerned about voter apathy. And there are folks who are worried about there being too many cooks in the kitchen. So even if you are, you know, trying to take this hands-off approach, which is to use your sort of, to paraphrase your words, key to creating um, a sort of decentralized protocol or, or, or sort of entity, how do you make sure that things don't go awry? Or is that maybe not even your concern? It's not. That's not my purview. So, so the way the rules were written of this game, that's the purview of the token holders. So it is up to them. Now, now there's there is a very interesting thing that happens, and I'll I'll be the first to admit I don't have the answers to this, because what what has naturally and again it makes logical sense happened is that out of the token holders a few individuals 
were identified, and these individuals stepped up to to begin executing what the vision of the system is based on the collective. So, so it's a very much a a bottom up democratic slash autocratic system where these elected officials came out of their peers. Um, but now token governance still sits at the top and token holders can still vote and that vote outcome now 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 this is important where governance needs to be separated into into a few different fields so there's there's strict on-chain governance this is things like parameters in a smart contract or where should the current vault strategy be deployed um these things do not involve people they involve the token now the token is proxy to people but you, you you don't need people executing anything. Then on the more DAO side, you you have people executing the the governance vision, um, and this might be external stuff. You know, content creation. Should the website have um, Japanese translations? Should we have a new logo? You know, these are things that don't happen on chain, but still affect the protocol. Now, now there in conflict can happen between what the voters want and what the let's call it um, executive committee. I've been calling them the the executors. What what they want to do, uh, and when that occurs, I and this hasn't been tested. This we'll have to see in a live environment. But when that occurs, my best case assumption is that these executors won't want to execute and thus they will no longer be the executing entity and a new executing entity will come from the the governance pool of peers that is willing to step up and execute as per this requirement um now whether that happens in in practice versus theory that's yet to be seen um, because we haven't had that conflict occur yet but that's that's what i'm expecting to happen based on what i've seen so far but the 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 on-chain codified part, you know, that's 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 very low energy, I want to say, because like you've you've already done all the hard work at that point. Um, everything's codified, everything's working, everything's doing its job. You're basically maybe tweaking a fee or uh, adding another treasury recipient. You know, it's not it's those things are merely implementations, and and that's on-chain governance, which I think a lot of people focus on. Um, I'm a lot more. Currently, on a theoretical level, interested on what's actually going to happen on on the the DAO, if I can call it that, side, um, and see how you know what happens when the voters start disagreeing with the executors. Because because right now, you know, it's honeymoon phase. Everyone's happy. Everything's great. Everyone's in line with each other. Even when there are disagreements, people are happy that the executors sort of decide on it, and and the voting aligns towards that. Um, but but I'm I'm very curious to see what starts happening when when that honeymoon phase is over. Just to jump in here, and by the way, Frank, you should never introduce anyone as like the best researcher ever, because that's like introducing a comedian and saying they're the funniest ever, and then the audience is like, oh, really? But uh, uh, my question has to do with sort of because I think people think of Wireness having really good governance, and one part of that is the fair launch of the Yifki token, but I think the problem with those has typically been that every distribution mechanism, if it works really well, it becomes gamed immediately after that. And if you talk about governance, you also really have to care about building that community with like a good token distribution. So I don't know, how do you think like future projects can uh, get like their tokens out to the people who can really like build out the community in the same way that Wireon has? So, so 
I, I, I have to state Wiren got very, very lucky in terms of its distribution because at that time, people weren't trained yet. I mean, if you look at tokens trying to replicate Yearn's distribution system now, they've gone from people trying to crack shot with pistols to being snipers with 50 cals. You know, they're, they're so quick to get into these pools and just farm and destroy them. That's why I've started calling them liquidity locusts. Versus, huh. you know, when, when Yearn was doing its thing, people weren't trained yet. They didn't know. So, so I was lucky that the token ended up mostly with the protocol's users. So the one big difference that I would do if I had to repeat it today with how everyone is currently trained and equipped and ready, I would not announce. I would retrospectively simply give it to the users of the protocol. Because the core goal, 33% of the tokens, was always meant to go to the users of the protocol. The only reason the other two implementations existed is after I had the tokens in the user's hands. Because the thing about Yearn v1 was the, the users that are using the LP are not necessarily the people I need that are making strategy decisions. Because there's a difference between the guy that's just putting some die into the pool and he wants returns versus the one that's capable of implementing these strategies. And that's why I had the two pools, which was to train you how to use balancer, and the third pool was to train you how to use governance. So I, I got very lucky that the market just wasn't ready for it yet. Um, I think you're going to struggle doing any kind of real fair launch going forward. And I think the word has been co-opted to the point where just saying a fair launch is like saying the word TPS. You're going you're gonna to trigger some people. Um, and, and I don't think the fair expectation is accurate anymore because even with Yearn, we've seen the, the fairness is restricted by your capital. And I mean, that's not necessarily fair in the, in the sense of the word. Um, I, I have seen the projects that I am still following closely and that I do still regard as strong projects are all now doing retrospective awarding to their users. I've seen some looking at some quadratic models um, to better allow distribution between the different pools. Um, I've even seen some penalty suggestions where tokens on a sort of rebase mechanism get spread between token holders to keep it equivalent. So instead of, you know, pegging towards a price, it actually pegs towards a percentage across wallets that own it, um, which I think is a pretty interesting idea that, that I'll want to see explored more. Um, but I don't think you're going to be able to replicate how, how, how Yearn was very lucky in being able to do it. It's interesting. We're seeing a lot of innovation. You look at this market, everything's moving so fast. Never before in, in crypto, I, perhaps, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm exaggerating as I'm prone to do as an Italian-American. Um, but you're seeing in, insane amounts of innovation in governance, in incentives, in these different protocols. And, and so there's no doubt that things are changing. Everyone sort of, you know, has their nose on the grindstone. Is that, is that even the expression, nose on the grindstone? I'm like known okay. to mix metaphors. Yeah, nose on I'm, the grindstone. I'm, there we go. I got it. Surprised. Um, I, I don't think you want a nose on a grindstone, but <laughs> so I guess the question is, all of this innovation, all of this um, sort of experimentation, does it matter for broad finance or uh, the market as a whole? What does it mean for fintech? And should regular folks care about this innovation, which they're probably just chalking up to a bunch of degens sloshing money around and just 
craving for the next bet or gamble that could get them um, a reasonably sized house. <laughs> uh, you're you're throwing so many soft jabs. I really do love it. Um, I I I don't think it matters to the average person that will end up interacting even with DeFi potentially. Just like your your average person doesn't need to know the articles of incorporation of a company, or they don't need to know its charter, or they don't need to know the backend software that you know Goldman Sachs is running. Um, these these are things that because because there's 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 always this this analogy that you know in DeFi we're just now rediscovering what the corporate world has already figured out and built over the last fifty years. When 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 we talk about governance, two hundred years, fifty years is even not enough. And when we talk about finance, it's the same thing. The the finance and the banking sector say, oh, but we're just reinventing you know what they've already built, and and that's true to to a certain extent and within certain parameters. Um, but there's also this this entirely new concept of 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 accountability and permissionless and decentralized and and being able to create something out of nothing, which which are primitives that we haven't seen. And and they they do copy a lot of similarities. And I think we will end up seeing a lot of similarities, but there also needs to be a new discovery process. And and even which I don't think is going to happen, but even in the unlikely case where we do end up at something that looks exactly like a carbon copy of existing corporate governance and existing finance systems, then I still think the time and effort spent to walk that path and to see, is there another way, is a good question to ask. And I think it should be asked every few years. Even if you arrive at the same answer, it's still good to ask that question. Um, but do I think the average user needs to know about it or the average person that interacts with it? No, 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 no more than someone that puts their money into an annuity or an RA fund, um, and wants to save some money for, you know, later in their, in their, for their reasonably sized house. Um, <laughs> they, they, they really don't, um, if they're interested in it. Sure, that's a different story. But but I mean that's that's true for any field. You know, you you don't need to know about the inner workings of the human body to go to a doctor. Um, you don't need to understand hedges or options to to go to your bank. Um, the so 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 there's another thing where, and and this is a narrative I've not agreed with. Where where a lot of people say that you know this is this is open finance, this is inclusive finance, this is this is banking the unbanked. Um, as as a South African and an African, I, I can tell you the DeFi people don't know the first thing about banking the unbanked. They've never met an unbanked, and they should really stop saying any phrases like that. Um, it's not open finance. It's not inclusive finance. It is a new kind of finance. It's it's I've been referring to it as geek finance because it's it's finance for nerds. Um, it it's a different kind of finance. Um, I don't even necessarily think it's going to revolutionize the world. Um, I I still think there's going to be significant value in traditional finance and corporate structures. I just think this is something new. It's like Tor didn't change the way we used the internet because. For all of the data that Google is collecting on you to give you customized ads, some people like getting customized ads because it makes their lives easier. So they don't care co-opting the data, um, giving up the data to to get that benefit. Um, 
so it's it's really it's just a different sector. Uh, it doesn't need to it doesn't need to change everyone's lives. It's still kind of trying to find its legs, and that uh, the community is. is still developing. Yeah, I do find it like interesting that what you mentioned about the geek finance and stuff, where if you look at something like Yearn, if you wanted to build a service like that on traditional finance, I think like the cost of doing that, you could raise like hundreds of millions and keep just going. But here it's like an effort of maybe four normal developers or one you and and then it maybe costs like ton, some tens of thousands. How do you think that lowering that barrier impacts like the innovation here? Oh, look, that's that's a huge difference. Like 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 that that's why I'm here. So I mean, I I I used to build insurance systems in you know black box solutions, and after that, I did the banking thing, and I did the loan game, all all in traditional um, fintech, and 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 the thing that attracted me here was was how open the tech stack is, because now every time we went through this loop at at the bank, it was how do we build this from the ground up? You know, it was never how do we leverage what another bank build or a partner bank build or or even 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 a, a adversarial bank build because because you, you just don't have access to the information. It's not open, it's not shared. The the thing about building in DeFi, and again this is why I'm a big Ethereum fan, is because when when someone has built something and they've deployed it, they they can't stop me from using it, even if they wanted to. Like if if I today wanted to build another interface for Aave and start being a competitor to them on the marketing side, I can. Nothing, nothing can can stop that process. Um, and and the nice thing is, there's there's so many primitives that have already been built. Like like I I was not a a Solidity developer two years ago because two years ago when I started looking at Ethereum and Solidity, you know, you you could make an ERC twenty and that was about it, and and that didn't excite me. But nowadays, you you have Uniswap, you've got Curve, you've got all of these AMMs, you have you have Bancor, and then you've got your lending services, you've got Compound, you've got DYDX, you've got um, Aave, and we're seeing more and more primitives. We're we're seeing native options, native leverage, native hedging, um, and, and and we're we're seeing primitives that don't exist in the traditional finance world. Something like flash loans, which I think is just the start of of what something new can be, um, and and that. That time of innovation is, I mean, look, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. It's both a blessing and a curse because as quickly as people can build and deploy stuff, that's also how quickly they can lose their money. So, so that's why- and Things can just completely unravel. Do you think this hyper, um, this, this hyper competitive nature of the space has breeded to a degree this, this toxicity that you've, you've talked about and that- has been reported um, has almost made you consider leaving the market. Where do you think that toxicity is stemming from, and and how do we how do we remedy that? Um, look, open nature and open culture comes with that double edged sword that I've now sort of slowly but surely just realized. I just kind of have to accept it in that. The same positivity that you get out of the openness. In other words, you know, it's it's amazing for me how I've literally built products based off of interaction with people on Twitter. Or someone has an idea, and then I'll throw a poll on top of that, and we'll get some feedback. 
and then we'll build it. And like that level of communication is awesome, but but it also goes the opposite way where you know someone's going to to steal the idea or someone's going to try and cancel culture or whatever people call it nowadays. Um, it's a lot about who the community gives the bigger voice to, I think, is more what it comes down to. So, so a big reason, and I mentioned this on the chat I had with Laura, a, a big reason why, why I did leave back in March was because everyone was giving the voice to this anti-developer narrative. And, and that put me off because then I'm, I'm not going to develop if whenever I deploy something on chain, it's going to be my fault that it's on chain. Now, I, I think we've gone full swing in the opposite direction, where now if the contract is there and you interact with it, you know, it's your responsibility. I, I, I think we've overcorrected now again to that side where, where there's a little bit of a duality, but you're also not really going to get rid of it. Today, for example, I, I, I read a thread by a few, um, um, a few of the, the, the prolific female builders in our community. And they've contributed a lot over the last few years, and, and they were lamenting about, you know, the the current sort of degenerate meme culture and and the the stuff that's going on. And and I I retweeted that and said, you know, like just just be aware, and and especially if you're reading this and you think it's subtweeting you, then you definitely have something to think about. So so and the reason I mentioned this is because now with that overcorrection, where we have this very degenerate money nature, I I think we've We've now become a little bit exclusive of some of the original principles, you know, which which was fairness, which was inclusivity, which which was to have a little bit more awareness of what's going on. So, as as with anything in in the blockchain space as a whole, not just DeFi, um, you know, we're we're always we're always on on extreme ends. It's it's either too much or too little, but it's it's never really in the middle. I mean, we we saw it with we saw it with ICOs. We saw it with DeFi, where we we do what the rest of the world does in five years and a week, and we do it either zero or a hundred and crazy percent, um, which isn't bad. But it needs to it needs to stabilize somewhere, and it needs to pull back a little bit because I do think we've gone too far now. And I've been rambling so long, I don't even remember the original question. All right, about the toxicity. Um, Look, my new rule is 51%. Try and keep 51% of the people happy and the other 49 are always going to hate you. When when that metric changes from 49 to 51, then it's time to reevaluate what I'm doing because then I'm obviously in the minority and and we work in a we work in a Byzantine environment. You know, it's it's 51% is the majority rule wins. So you you kind of have to accept that. And if at that point you're in the 49, yeah, maybe it's time to reevaluate. That's so when that happens again, then I'll reevaluate. And if I don't enjoy the current atmosphere, then then I'll do something else. Um, that's the only choice you really have. If you're a listener of the scoop or follow the block, then you know I am super excited about the future of crypto adoption, especially on the enterprise side. Our sponsor, Blockset, is not only helping to push development at the grassroots level with their multi-chain API, but also at the institutional level. Blockset is built by BRD, the first crypto wallet in the App Store from 2014, and one of the largest in the space today. They've taken the architecture and the knowledge they've gained over the past six years to create Blockset, a robust, reliable, and strategic B2B offering for developers and enterprises. 
Blockset is enabling banks and other major financial institutions to interface and build with crypto assets at light speed. See just how simple it is by visiting Blockset.com and sign up for a free account today. The sort of ability, I think, to easily copycat or mimic some of these protocols to a degree maybe has breeded some of this anxiety and toxicity, right? And mm. in this hyper-competitive environment where, you know, one day you you are kind of the unquestionable kingpin and then the next day someone just swoops in and, and copies everything that you've built and, and maybe improves upon it, but then kind of sweeps the rug out from underneath you that as an investor, as a stakeholder and whatever protocol that happens to, I, I could see how, um, you know, that might breed a level of anxiety. Um, what what do you make of maybe some of these competitive dynamics? Of, you know, maybe like specifically the the Uniswap Sushi Swap saga, um, where there was just a lot of like beef, right? I mean, you know, you kind of watch it on Twitter, um, but I think it's something like you know we can learn from it as if it happened like a year ago. Um, yep. It happened like two weeks ago, but I think I think that is a lesson because we're going to see more of it, right? We're going to see, you know, we we saw swerve come out of curve so to speak and we'll likely see many many more um how do we make that productive how do we make this sort of mimicking process productive rather than sort of people just bouncing from protocol to protocol well like we we, we already have evidence towards the mimicking culture so so we we already have sufficient data to know how it plays out you know you've you've got you've got bitcoin you've got bitcoin cash you've got bitcoin sv got ethereum you've got ethereum classic so and i mean let's not even start talking about all of the gif clones that are out there even though they change their names um so so we have so many clones but the leaders are still the leaders and and why is that that's because the the leaders have the intellectual capital they have the the innovation they 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 set the the bar that the rest are trying to keep up with um now, I mean, this doesn't mean that a new competitor can't carve its own area, um, but the the lead will most likely always be the lead. So, so, so you know, it's 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 very easy to right now, if you look at the small spectrum, the small blip in time, say that these these clone war attacks are working, or these these vampire attacks, whatever you want to call them, are working. But but I think if you zoom out. And we talk again about this three months, six months, a year from now, um, which, you know, in, in, in DeFi years means I'll probably be dead by then. But anyway, um, if, you, <laughs> if, you, if you zoom out, then I don't think the impact's going to be that big. One, one of the things, um, this is one of the, the tweets I had on, on the SushiSwap saga was, you know, everyone that next day said SushiSwap successfully stole a billion dollars TVL from Uniswap. And and the data showed it didn't. In fact, Uniswap went up by about 200 million in AUM. So even after this attack, Uniswap had more TVL and it's still continuing and it's still growing. SushiSwap, on the other hand, not so much. So so the 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 quick buck clones will be exactly that. They'll be they'll be a flash. And I've been calling them flash farms because they pop up, they're gone First, it was in a week. Then it was in three days. Now they're gone, seemingly in four hours. Um, 
and and that time period is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. So so I don't think if you're if you're supporting a protocol because of what the protocol has been doing to get here, you're you're going to be disappointed because these these are the guys that are closer to this industry and understand this industry better than anyone. And the guys that just quickly clone, do a vampire attack, steal some liquidity, they're they're always going to be trying to play catch up because the the innovators are busy sitting with stuff in their head, thinking about stuff that isn't on chain. Like like after after a builder, uh, I can't speak for all of them, but the ones I've spoken to, after a builder deploys a product on chain, they're already thinking about the next one. They're already thinking about how do we make this better? How do we improve? What else can we do? I mean, I've got I've got a backlog of probably 10 to 15 products I haven't even touched yet um, just because of time constraints. Uh, and and these these aren't things you can clone. So I I don't think in, in the short term, yeah, it's scary. Um, you're going to see people adding incentives and and taking away from your underlying protocols. Yeah. Uh, but as you spend that over time, I, I just think it's going to normalize and it's not going to matter. Yeah, maybe if we can specifically talk about urine in this example, I think people have sort of made arguments there where one easy way to go after the protocol is to just undercut fees. So instead of having a 5% performance fee, someone will come along with like a 4% one and a 3%, then like a 1% and then a 0% one. And you can also actually take this type of parasitic behavior even further. And this has been sort of a well-known security issue for prediction markets, for example, that rely on oracles that are secured by network fees because you can have a smart contract that uh, settle a, another version of the smart contract and the market that settles based on the original smart contract without paying the fees. So someone can basically just copy the uh, vault strategies and do that without paying the fees and have that kind of forked version. Do you think like these things can undercut your in, in different ways? How do you see like the network effects here and and like the competitive mode? So I I always considered any any of these systems. To be a zero-sum game, um, because as you say, the next guy is just going to clone it and make it three percent, and the next one's two percent or one percent, and and that's why the original Y tokens had no base fees. Um, they made some money off of governance tokens they got, but but they did not take fees themselves. Um, even even in 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 Yearn, the only place I wanted fees was in the in the subsidized gas cost because that's bots sitting external that are actually making calls and spending gas, so they should be recouped. But but that's a different story. Um, but what I've seen happen, which is interesting, is is a very large network effect. Now now this happens outside of of what's happening on chain, where you know Yearn is whitelisted for for the maker um oracle security module feed and like the, there was a large process we had to go through and submit governance and get backing and all of that to to get that now again another protocol can come in and get that that's the beauty of a permissionless lecture but but that that's already a little bit of a of an effect that that stops them so so you can't just clone the ye vault with the strategy because you're not going to get the same data points um, but they can go through that process. But as they're going through that process, we've got more ones that we're doing. We've got more integrations. You know, you you can clone the the Wi-Fi token, and I mean by now there's there's more Wi-Fi clones than there are Fast and Furious clones. So you you can go for it, but 
it's not going to be accepted in collateral uh, in Ave as collateral, you know. Um, so, so I think, I mean, the the code I've always said is not the difficult part uh, because in reality it's not. Even 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 Yearn is is as a code base probably less than a thousand lines of code. That's that's not the difficult part, but everything that happens around that. Like I, I, I get the question a lot. Why doesn't someone just clone Maker? Because you know it's not that difficult to add a system where you throw an ETH, it it reads a price oracle and then gives you an equivalent amount of measured in price oracle thing. A- a- anyone can build that right now. But getting people to to integrate Dai and use it and have it in AMMs and have it as collateral and all of these extra environmental things happening. These are these are network effects, and and the main. I I don't want to say this, but but the main founders are clicky. We 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 all chat, we all interact, we all respect each other, and and we try and build off of each other as much as we can because we know the collective is stronger than the individual. So so you cloning the code is is not going to give you that same competitive advantage. At the same time, I I want it to happen. Because that's how we make things more efficient. Um, I like to often speak of of flattening the curve in in crypto as well, because hmm. we 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 have this we have this log in inefficiency line happening because you know there there aren't enough competitors, there isn't enough liquidity to take advantage of lending rates, and like the more liquidity we see come in, the lower lending rates are going to become. The the more competitors we see the 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 more spread out the liquidity is going to be um so so i don't i don't think it's a bad thing actually that these competitors come in and that they play this zero-sum game and at the same time no protocol should think that its fees is the thing that's going to keep it alive it should constantly be looking for new ways or new angles or new improvements and and if it's if it's not doing that um the decentralized world is even more dog-eat-dog than the traditional financial markets so so you have to be willing to put in 24 7 and you know you 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 still have to train harder than the next guy to be able to get better results and there's so so many people that are working out there um as as hard as possible if you listed those 15 product ideas literally tomorrow half of those will be in development what are what are some of them well now now i can't list any of them not after you said that (laughs) <laughs> no so so i mean Touché. there's there's um no no no. I, I i welcome people taking it over i i actually i've the the last two pocs i've built i've i've actually handed over to other organizations just because like i i don't have the capacity to run all of this stuff um so there's there's the new dynamic amm that i was busy with it's it's basically the same principle as a normal amm but it, it uses a stable swap curve like curve systems itself but the nice thing about that is, so so in in something like Uniswap, right? You've got the the constant product market maker. Now now how that works is it doesn't care. You put something on side A and you put something on side B. Now it doesn't care what the actual price is. It looks at the quantity. So it expects the quantity on A to be equivalent to fifty percent of the quantity on B. And now that doesn't mean it's one to one, but it means that if there's a hundred on the one side and one on the other side, it tries to keep it in that quantity of a hundred to one, irrespective of how much you put in. But now the problem with that is, is you can't dynamically add more stuff. So we're seeing a lot of liquidity fragmentation. This dynamic AMM I design actually allows you 
to instead of making a new pool every time, you just add a new asset. So you don't need to launch a another die Eve pool. You can just add die to the pool. And then when I don't know, uh, BUSD comes along, you just add that to the pool. And you, you can just keep adding new things like that. And there's there's quite a cool little is this um, is this the is this the stable credit? No, 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 no. This this is one no. I haven't even spoken about or launched yet. Um, you, you 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 ask for stuff on the backlog list. So this is stuff people haven't <laughs> even seen yet. All right, go ahead. Um, so and 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 a very nice um, innovation there was uh, a proper single sided liquidity. So so the pool itself acts as a a stable coin itself. So it keeps itself in the in the same measurement as the liquidity it has inside of it. So when you add liquidity or you remove liquidity, you're actually trading the token of the pool itself into it or out of it. So, so because you're doing it as a swap and not as a, a add liquidity, you, you can actually do it in a completely single-sided fashion because it just uses that same curve and variant to do the trade for you. Um, so, 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 so that's both POC and I'll probably just give that one away. Um, Stable credit is there. Um, I'm I'm looking to give that one away. Uh, there's a there's I I'm I'm not sure about this yet. I need to do a little bit more testing. But I found a way where where rebasing allows you to basically create a leveraged long or short position on on anything you want as output. So what it does is I provide my die as collateral for argument's sake, and I say a short position on USDC, and then it mints me my USDC, and if I'm a short position, it rebases it towards the price of USDC in inverse to to my die. I'm still prototyping there, but if it works as my tests are currently showing, then you actually have a completely permissionless leverage, short or long synthetic system that you can just sort of provide any backing asset and then have it as a long or a short against the other position you're taking. Um, there was there was my perpetual pool thing that I was trying to do as a mm. as a universal basic income theory. That one's not playing out so well because you need you need the oracle to exist for the pool before you create the contract. And I haven't solved the way how I can do all three of those in do one. You, so I need to is, figure that out. How do you have any free time in in your mind <laughs> to like um, just? I mean, you have like a million ideas. It's yeah, incredible. well, you just. You just let your brain wander and it just thinks about stuff and then you build it and you see if it works. Look, like for, for every successful thing I launched, there's there's 19 failed prototypes sitting there that either didn't make it past conception because it's a, a good idea is not often a good idea. Like you'll you'll think on paper, wow, this sounds amazing. This 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 is gonna work. And then when you build it and when you try it, you actually realize, yeah, no, actually this this was kind of shitty. And and that happens a lot. Um and 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 that's that's another reason why why I I lean a lot towards sort of doing stuff in a very rapid prototype on chain kind of fashion because that's the fastest way you figure out did it work or not. You you can also take the theoretical approach and do an academic paper and get a formal audit and you know that's going to put you back 100 150 k and six months just to learn. Hey, this was a shit idea. Um, so so. A lot of it is just that rapid prototyping where I'm just playing with stuff where, where, so the never build a product you're not going to use yourself. That's my number one rule. So, so this is all of these ideas are based on me playing in this ecosystem. And then this is stuff I 
I would like to do differently because I don't like it. And is there a way to do it? And if there is, then I'm going to play with it. And as I think of one, I just add it to my list. And um, I'm I'm fortunate in that my brain, you know, while while I'm waiting for a contract to deploy or while I'm waiting for for tests to compile, then my my brain just sort of idles on these problems and tries to figure them out. Um, so I'm I'm just lucky in that regard, I guess. But the when 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 I when I see problem, I need to fix problem. That's that's really I'm just codified that way. I think people do want to hear more about stable credit uh, because this is a protocol that's sort of a mix of MakerDAO, Compound, and like an automated market maker. And I think this is maybe among the uh, things you've built, the one where people have really right now a tough time building an intuition about what it is. So is there like a simple explanation of what it feels like to interact with the protocol for a user that uh, people can understand? Uh, I, I, I mean, you're right. You know, it's, it's, it's Maker, it's Compound, um, it's it's an AMM all in one. So if let's 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 define two kinds of users. So user number one, I have I have collateral, let's say link tokens. Um, I want to provide my collateral and I want to mint Dai. In this case, Dai is SCUSD, Stable Credit USD. Then you provide your your link and you get your SCUSD. And you know, if you want to go trade with that, then that's fine. If you wanna, if you wanna just hedge out some risk, that's fine. If if later in the protocol's lifecycle people integrate SCUSD and they use that in more things, cool. You can go use it for that. Um, but but at its base layer, that's it. You know, it's it's I provide collateral and I get die. Um, and if the price falls, you're going to get um, I I don't want to call it liquidate it because you're not going to lose everything you're you're always going to lose small little bits at a time so it's more like you're going to get rebalanced um you you might end up with less uh, but but you're it's not like your full stack is going to get wiped out so that's that's sort of the most basic side there but now once you have this scusd um and and this is where i'm still deciding what to peg it to because you can you can do sc euro you can do jpy you can do out it, it doesn't matter whatever you want um, but then on the borrowing side, you can now use this SCUSD as credit. And now I can, so if someone else comes in and they put down, I don't know, um, uh, wrapped B2C as collateral and they mint SCUSD, now they can sell in quotes, air quotes, the SCUSD for the link that the other guy is providing as collateral. And now they're essentially borrowing the link, but what they're actually doing, they're selling the SCUSD and they're buying link. So now they don't actually have to repay Link as a debt. So if they wanna, if they wanna, let's say there's also Dai in the system, and now they wanna come back and repay their debt because their debt is an SCUSD, then they can sell the Dai into the SCUSD pool and then repay the SCUSD debt that they have and then withdraw their collateral. But now the reason why it's underpinned with an AMM is because at the time that they withdraw that Link out of the ecosystem, now. Now the AMM for Link SUSD is is imbalanced and Link is is cheap. So now traders come in and they sell Link into the ecosystem and take out the SUSD. Now either they hold on to the SUSD or they trade that into the die pool where the guy came back and sold in the die because that's imbalanced and they take the die out. And this is where the multipathing that we're seeing now with stuff like one inch and paraswap and all of matcha and all of these aggregators is very important. Like like the solution could not exist without multipathing. Um 
or I guess a lot of the concepts. But but it's it's just it's just the weird way of how these things interact with each other that that puts the ecosystem in balance, um, which which I I found really fascinating. Like it's probably on a theoretical level one of the coolest things I've designed yet. Um, but but on its on its very basic level, you're you're either the 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 person that wants to mint die, so you provide collateral and you get your stablecoin, or you're the person that wants to borrow, in which case you provide your collateral and you borrow the asset you want to borrow for whatever reason it is you want to do, and that's it. Those are your two users, um, and and you can even look at that as two separate legs. I mean, uh, step one is I provide my collateral and I get die, and then step two is I use die to borrow link or USDC or whatever it is I borrow. So when you come back into the system, you now have USDC, you sell that, you get DAI, you settle your DAI debt and you take out your collateral. Uh, but it's 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 as basic as that, even you know, if it does come with with quite a bit of um theoretical complexity, if not definitely not code complexity, because the actual code base is like I think less than two hundred lines of code. I think it's like hundred and fifty. There are all these rumors going around about how like different protocols uh, here and being one of them would be like on multi-chain and and I don't know, maybe like the most generic way to ask that question is that how would you like evaluate other chains and w- would it be ever interesting to like deploy on them and how does the like migration of users and interoperability work there? And and just to tack onto that, right, like you mentioned how much, you know, you, you, you love Ethereum, but I mean, in in the next in the medium term, like how much of this space is going to be limited to Ethereum? So kind of like a two prong question there. Like more broadly speaking, for for the entire DeFi space, and then how do you sort of like look at it for for Yearn specifically? Well, I mean, n- number one, let me unpack why I build on Ethereum and not something else. So so there's there's really three core principles, and I've I've mentioned this a few times in some of my other stuff. The principle number one is you need assets. Um, the ICO boom gave Ethereum all of the assets. Uh, you've got USDC, you've got USDT, you've got DAI, you've got Link, you've got BAT, you've got so many even live layer one change whose tokens are still on Ethereum um, because it's just such a more rich ecosystem. So so number one, you need those assets. Now, now as we evaluate other chains today, most of them don't have these assets. Um, they've they've tried to sort of get USDT on top of them, and they've maybe minted a few. But every few weeks, you'll get an announcement: Oh, USDT is Tether is moving those funds back from that chain to Ethereum because Ethereum needs it more. So, so, so most of these other layer one chains, I tend to just call them Ethereum side chains, are 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 asset constrained. They don't have the assets. Now, number two, also thanks to the ICO boom. You you had so many protocols that come out that were building on top of Ethereum. You know you've got Ava, you've got Compound, you've got Uniswap, you've got uh, Bancor, you've got there's there's just so many building blocks that you need, and I call this the the protocol layer. Um, and now again, if we go look at other chains, the protocol layer doesn't exist. And then number three, which which to me as a very lazy developer is very important. Is the ecosystem tooling? You know, you, you've you've got MetaMask, you've got EtherScan, you've got Remix. There's there's so many tools that allow me to do things so effortlessly that don't exist on other chains. So so number one, I I, I always get asked, okay, but why don't I move Yearn? And it's very simplistic. I can't 
because I don't have the protocols and I don't have the assets. E- even even if the even if the tooling existed on another chain, like like if we look at if we look at and and it it pains me to say this, but but right now something like Binance Chain is a strong competitor because they're they're solidity compatible, which is great. It means I don't have to change my code. That that's another very important one is is don't underestimate how lazy builders are. You know if 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 even even if you incentivize me to your to move to your chain and I need to rewrite my entire code base, I'm just not going to do it. That's too much effort. It's not worth it. Not not if I can just stay on this one. You know, there's there's no net benefit to me moving. Um, but but now let's let's look at the Binance Chain case. Binance Chain is Solidity compatible. You can set up MetaMask um, and Remix to actually just update your your URL that you're pointing to, and then you can use them both on the system. They've got a blockchain explorer that's developed by the Etherscan team that works just as well. So I could take Yearn code right now and go deploy it on there. And they've got some assets, you know, there's some USDT on there, there's some BUSD and those kinds of things. But what they're missing right now is number two, they're missing the protocol there. So right now you don't have Ava, Compound, DYDX, um, Uniswap and all of those things. But they'll they'll start appearing there. And as they start appearing there, you know, maybe, maybe some stuff will move. Maybe that is a potential. Um, now, now there's there's a secondary more purist slash ideological slash philosophical question here is, you know, how important is decentralization to you? Because Binance Chain for for all of its speed is still, you know, 50 nodes controlling it in a completely centralized and authoritarian manner. Um, they they can they you know just make the decision to fork it if it's a if it's a result they're not happy with? Yes, they can. Um, is there anything you can do to stop it? No, you can't. So would you want to do that? I, I don't know. Personally, I'm a little bit against it, but I, I guess most people won't care because most people are here to make money and not here to build, you know, on ideology. Um, uh, so, 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 so that's another condition to consider. Then, then the the next one I always like to point out to people is, you know, it's. Uh, Ethereum is a is an autobahn. You know, it's 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 a very fast road, but there are millions of cars on this autobahn. So you can't go as fast as you want to go. You're going to sit in traffic, and it's going to be slow, and you're going to try and move between lanes, but it's just not going to help. Now these other blockchains, who all claim they're super fast, they don't have this traffic. There are no cars. So yes, it's very nice to go. You know, in your I don't know what it is now, Lambo or Ferrari or whatever it is that crypto people are talking <laughs> about, and 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 you know at max speed drive down that lane because there's no traffic. But when you get that same level of traffic, guess what's going to happen? You're still going to be stuck. Fees are still going to be high. It's still going to be annoying. So the 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 trilemma exists for a reason. You know, you're always going to choose between security, scalability, and decentralization. Like like Ethereum hit that sweet spot. Um, will Will some people move over to other chains because it's faster and they can make... No, no, I don't think they'll move over because it's faster. Um, will they move over because they pay less gas? No, I don't think they'll move over because it pays less gas. Will they move over because there's something on that chain where they can make more money than they can on the current chain? Yes, they will They will go through the hardship of learning how to use that chain and move over. Um, as a dev, though, right now, it's very unlikely to see. Anything I build migrate over 
because it's not going to have the user base, it's not going to have the tooling and infrastructure, and and it's it's probably just not going to be worth the effort. Super interesting, um, and I I think it's an important question because so many developers are probably racking their mind around this uh, because of the limitations we're seeing with Ethereum and just the innovation that we're seeing in in different corners of the market. This has been a great conversation, and I I can see on Twitter I tweeted about um, the trillion ideas that you have, and people are already getting excited. <laughs> I guess to kind of like wrap things up and kind of um, you know, kind of end the conversation. Um, what do you think people aren't paying much attention to that that you find incredibly interesting in in DeFi? What's not getting enough coverage, or what are people maybe not talking about enough? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, give me a second to quickly run through my memory bank here and see. Yeah. Well, um, one thing you've tweeted about recently, I've seen a lot is NFTs. So that could be, uh, is that uh-huh. something that's interesting? Well, so, so I mean, uh, I, I, I think NFTs are getting the right amount of exposure. I, I don't think they're getting too little exposure because, you know, the, the, if if we look in the traditional NFT value proposition, it's it's to prove originality. So in its in its purest form, it's great for things like I don't know art or expensive watches or I stuff I don't really have or care about. So so I'm I'm not necessarily that demographic. But one thing I do know about the demographic is it's a very long term focused demographic. You know, you uh, a person doesn't buy a a Monet because they're going to flip it the next week. Um, so, so, so there's, there's currently a misalignment with the user base and sort of the, the art NFT space. And I, I, I can see that like, like now that with, with why ensure there, there was an overlap on the NFT space and it needed a marketplace. So it ended up in places like OpenSea and Rarible. And, and it's actually, it's, it's pissing off the art community quite a lot because now you've, you've got. You've got these DeFi degens coming in and they expect to buy it and flip it the next day. And it's actually causing more damage than good. And people are buying up like cheap art and listing it for 10 times the price and that kind of stuff. And, and it's, it's, it's very abrasive. So, so there's, there's a strong misalignment between um, the short-term mindset of the DeFi slash uh, investor and the, the long-term mindset of the NFT crowd. Um, I... I don't know how much we'll really see. I mean, something like an insurance policy makes sense because, you know, there's there's terms, there's a timeline. So that's something that had to be an NFT to make sense. I couldn't make it an ERC-20, otherwise I would have um, because I do prefer ERC-20s. They're just a lot easier to work with. Um, so so I'm not sure if it's, if it's not getting enough attention. Um, I, I think the... I think the layer two scaling solutions are probably not getting you no, actually it's very simplistic. The the number one thing that's not getting enough attention is is phase zero Ethereum. Like like that if if it succeeds, fantastic. It's going to it's going to, you know, solve so many of our scaling problems. Um if but but it also has the potential to to really break DeFi. Um, because like anything else, you know, we're, we're not, it's not going to be a, it's not going to be a, we flip a switch and it's going to be the next version. It's, it's going to, it's going to be like migrating to another chain. Like we're, we're piece by piece 
going to have to rebuild on that side and and then we'll have the solution and and i think there's a very good chance people will i mean i i for one would be more than happy to build as soon as the assets and the protocols are there um but i definitely think that is not getting enough attention except from the like very specific developer community because i i think people underestimate the 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 impact it's going to have on the defi space because now all of a sudden you're you're going to start seeing a lot of fragmentation where where builders are no longer building on on the current implementation and they're building on eve zero because they're moving over uh and that's going to have a pretty i think significant impact over the next few weeks probably months that i think the current defi community is definitely not looking at at all well listen here defi community start looking at it that's what that's what that's what we gotta start doing um andre thanks so much for coming on the show we really appreciate your insights and the time uh here with us this morning and we'll have you on soon that sounds awesome I'd like to give our sponsor, Bitstamp, a big thank you. The original global cryptocurrency exchange. Bitstamp is built for professional traders, yet intuitive enough for any investor. You can use Bitstamp's advanced trading interface, TradeView, to execute your strategy or instantly buy crypto in seconds when the opportunity strikes all from your computer or mobile device. Bitstamp prides itself on delivering unmatched customer service with a human touch. Their global customer care team is available around the clock via telephone, email, and social media. When you contact them, you'll always speak to an actual person, not a bot. You can download the Bitstamp app from the App Store or Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to learn more and to start trading today. That's bitstamp.net slash pro. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service.